And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Wednesday, November 11th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris on this episode. We talk about early pitcher rankings and related thoughts, things that we have to consider when it comes to the previously shortened 2020 season, how that fits into the long run, what matters, what doesn't, and some specifics, of course, along the way. Some tough ranks that I had putting my list together. Don't worry. It's coming out. It's coming out Monday. It's a big deal in the sense of promotion, not in the sense that the list in the eternal sense matters. But uh, how's it going for you on this Wednesday, you know? It's good. The kids are on vacation, which means um, I'm just uh, trying to get work done while I watch them and tell them not to do that or that or that. (laughs) Very (laughs) interested to find out what happens uh, over the course of this podcast. I'm sure it will be a very eventful hour or so in the uh, the Saris household. But uh, I want to talk about pitching, and uh, I sent you the preliminary ranks that I had put together last week, so you've kind of seen... The things I'm looking at, and we talked a little bit about uh, the stickiness of command scores for relievers on our Monday episode uh, when we were talking about uh, Devin Williams and the Rookie of the Year Award. It kind of came up as part of that conversation. But uh, as I started to put together all the things that I think are important to start putting these rankings together, I had a really difficult time at the very top of the pitching list with Max Scherzer. And I started talking to Nando and Ian on Under the Radar about this, and I just want to get your thoughts on Scherzer. And when we have a guy who, at this stage of his career especially, is in decline at some phase, whether it's gradual or increasing, there's some legitimate debate, I think, that can be had there. But what do you do with someone like Scherzer coming off of this shortened season where a lot of things still look good, and if you pull back and mush 2019 and 2020 together, things overall still look very good across the board. He still looks elite in the aggregate of the two seasons. Yeah, I mean, he's sitting 95, and it's one of those things where you know most of the stuff looks good, um, the command is good. There's no real uh, you. You have the spreadsheet that's that's pretty cool that. Uh, that has you know color coding there's no real red anywhere i suppose you could point to his whip last year but i wouldn't necessarily put too much weighting on that because you know everything else looked good his walk rate was good you know it could have just been a sort of babbit situation but the injury thing is the hardest thing to figure out i think i think it's the hardest thing to figure out because you can use command and number of pitches to kind of say, okay, that's why maybe I push Glass now and Lamette down. Uh, that's why maybe it's a little bit easier to 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 push Patrick Corbin down after the velocity goes. Just a two pitch guy, um, that sort of deal. There's there's reasons where the little red flags, but injury sort of really predicting injury is tough. And I'd like to before uh, we have our sort of March rankings to have a similar field that says sort of like DL percentage or DL chance. That could have, uh, you know, the sort of red green situation too, because I think for Scherzer it's at least yellow. I think for his teammate Steven Strasburg it's bright honking red. Um, and you know, I, I struggle with somebody like Denilson Lamette, who's probably still in his uh, Tommy John honeymoon phase. It's supposed to be like you know, two hundred innings are supposed to be fine at least before uh, you might have to have a second one. Um, Mike Clevenger seems like a, a full-on red, but is Scherzer a full-on red with the back injury? It's not an arm injury, but it is sort of a thing that goes on. 
it's the kind of thing like if Max Scherzer is red, then Clayton Kershaw has to be red because he's always had the back injury. And yet Clayton Kershaw comes out and if he, even if he doesn't give you 200, he, he can like he gives you Cy Young winning stats in 150 at a time when people don't really give you 200 anymore. Right. I don't have those injury flags built in. We've talked a little bit about them over the course of the last few months now. I've got the innings pitched combined from 19 and 20. And seeing that number when you start stacking up the aces against each other or any group of pitchers mm-hmm. against each other, you do get a better feel for what the durability looks like. And for you know Clayton Kershaw, it's 236 and two-thirds regular season innings since the start of 2019. For Scherzer, it's three more. It's 239 and two-thirds. So I think putting similar injury risk on them is appropriate. I would probably lean toward, if it's a one-to-five risk scale, I would say Kershaw's one notch worse or more risky than Scherzer at this oh, point. Just, because just a little bit. It's been around longer, I guess, this issue. It's been around a little bit longer. Yep. I mean, and then maybe the, the counter argument to that would be, yeah, but Scherzer's older. You know, more mileage on him overall, right? And it, it's easier to take the Kershaw side when their shortened seasons side by side are just clearly favoring Kershaw. A 216 ERA, 0.84 whip. Uh, you know, more K's for Scherzer, higher K percentage, but lower walk rate for Kershaw across the board, right? Everything just looked a little bit better for him in the shortened season. Even if you look at uh, called strikes and whips, the CSW for Kershaw is 31.9. For Scherzer, it's 29.8. Command is the one thing that we care about that favors Scherzer. Yeah, and strikeout rate, both above average. Well, you strike out percentage, yeah. But so it's like two and velocity. So it's two, three, three things we care about out of about seven or eight. Yeah. That's not bad. Yeah. It's not bad at all. But you have uh, you have some daylight between Scherzer and Kershaw. So um, that, that might have something to do with you thinking that the flag is a little bit redder on Kershaw for injury. Yes. But I think right now, just for people who don't have a list in front of them, uh, Scherzer <laughs> is at six on my starting pitcher rankings. It feels too high. It's I higher than to be he's been going in drafts. In case this wasn't set in stone and someone's yeah. yelling at you, <laughs> six and Kershaw, 12. And then like when it comes out, it's more like eight and 10 or something. But like, yes, they, they might be closer together by the time it's published. I, I wanted to really open up the forum with you and, and kind of continue this ongoing conversation I've been having about Scherzer and just figure out if I'm overestimating him and, and you know, looking at him as a safer ace than he really is at this stage. I think the the other interesting thing that I noticed in my top 10, so my top 10 as it's constructed right now is DeGrom 1, Cole 2, Bieber 3, Bueller and Darvish at 4 and 5, and then Scherzer, Woodruff, Giolito, Bauer, and Flaherty. Bauer at nine, coming off the season he just had, people are going to say, why? I was like, 2020 is not everything going forward. Command is part of the reason. Uh, look at the overall body of work. He was dinged up in 2019. We've pointed that out, I think, every time we've talked about him. I don't know if I trust him to be a 36% K-rate guy if we get a normal schedule and he's not just pitching against central teams all season long. Yes, yeah, central teams or that home run rate at 1.11 for uh, this year. And then when you add in last year, jumps to one, three, five. And, you know, I guess the elephant in the room is the spin, you know, pine tar stuff. But I just honestly, from my reporting, I don't get the sense that baseball is going to go out there and do the MMA check-in style, um, you know, enforcement. So I think that uh, Bauer's spin is probably here to stay. Okay. So if you look at Bauer that way, you have to throw out a lot of what he's done in the past then. And that sucks because you're still you're still trying to make it's a projection based still on the what worst, he was doing in 2020. Still the worst command plus in your top 12. Um, but uh, I think the injury flag on him is probably sort of dark green. Right. Least risky pitcher probably among this top group. Maybe one of the least... In risky pitchers in the entire pool. Yeah, because because what you saw is that in 2019, some of what, of his bat poor performance was playing through injury, but he still managed it. He had like back and 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 um, but there were sort of minor back and and uh, leg issues, uh, and he pitched through it. So he he thinks he's got some sort of magic 
sense or no, I don't want to say magic. That's that's sort of <laughs> magic sense. He thinks he's sort of figured out the way to train to even pitch for um, every four days or whatever. So there's a possibility that whoever signs him um, is is there to to get a ton of bulk out of him. So I think with all that, I could see actually throwing Scherzer behind Woodruff, Gilito, and Bauer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that makes Scherzer more of a nine and Kershaw a 12. And in between them are Jack Flaherty and Luis Castillo, who are like both very good pitchers, very and, and younger and probably less injury risk, but also a little bit less of a track record, um, more ups and downs on their track record than, uh, than Scherzer and Kershaw. So there'll be some who laugh all the way to the bank and take Kershaw and Scherzer again. Um, and I respect that, but I don't think that you can say that that's without risk. Right. And I think that's probably where the preliminary Scherzer ranking I have, where that points me is, oh, okay, I'm going to have a decent amount of Scherzer this year. Even if I end up lowering him, maybe that's the adjustment. Maybe you just kind of outline the most logical way to do it. And, you know, that's where he goes. And that kind of fits where he's going to be drafted. I always have this sort of dilemma with players I like a lot more than the field as a whole. How I want to rank them in a way ADP? where people go get them. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, I, I don't want, I don't want to give people advice to overdraft somebody like JD Martinez on the hitter side was going to be that guy. And I was like, I, I got to pull him down. I can't, I can't have JD Martinez as the top 20 hitter if his ADP is 100 overall. Like that's, and it's not because I don't trust what I see. It's because Putting him there in the rankings means you're drafting him in the third or fourth round, which is bad advice if you can get him in the seventh or eighth round. That's the problem. Yeah. And and I think that's a little bit of what I'm experiencing now with Scherzer. There's a little bit of a difference, I think, between incorporating ADP and sort of groupthink analysis into hitters versus pitchers. Because I think when the you know it's been shown before the hitter projections are better than pitter proje- pitcher projections we're a little bit closer to understanding the true talent of a hitter and if you incorporate in the fact that uh, you know age or whatever that that projected bounce backs are less reliable after 32 or 33 um, then you can have a really good sense of any batter that is younger than 32 is going to oscillate around the projections. They'll have better years and worse years. It has to do with health, but um, you know, I think a large part has to do with health, but they're going to stick truer to their projections. So I think in that case, if you project a guy and say, you know, his projections say he's a third rounder, he's being taken in the fifth. I'm more likely to rank that guy in the third round. You know, I'm just going to put him where Mm -hmm. I think he is. Pitching though, is a much more nebulous science. You know, this is why we're trying to add to the toolbox when it comes to command and stuff. And um, and I think ADP can ab- absolutely be um, almost a metric, a quality metric for a pitcher. It at least tells you, you know, how, what the agreement is. And I'd, I, I wouldn't necessarily want to be anchored to it. I mean, then you're just going to give people an ADP list and that's that's no use. But right, that's totally worthless. But in your case, like, for example, and I don't know if this is my own personal bias, but with Strasburg having like a bright honk and red flag and coming back from a, a surgery that I guess we have David Price as like a positive outcome, the carpal tunnel, uh, right? David Price had, had, had carpal tunnel surgery like that. But um, but I don't think that we have a, a large group of, of sample where you can say, oh, all these players that had carpal tunnel surgery came back, you know? Um, and, and how would, how well do they come back? Um, and then you look at the ADP, it's 89 on him and, uh, the guys around him are all sort of 30 to 50. Um, I think I would, uh, I would take that and be like, okay, I'm going to push him down because I like yeah. Blake Snell a lot and Blake Snell has, uh, maybe a yellow injury flag. So maybe Strasburg should at least be behind Blake Snell. I think he should be behind Snell. He should be behind Maeda right now. Maeda is just a riser for me. I, I think. It's tricky because we didn't see it over 32 starts. We didn't have a chance to. The question about Maeda was always how much of it was the Dodgers having all that depth, how much of it was Maeda fading and not being able to get through those seasons. My argument way back in February was I think he's going to get a chance to do it over a full season. Obviously, we didn't get one. And the skills look so good. I'm willing to continue to bet on Maeda especially if ADP settles in. I mean, early ADP, I think this is 
one draft in my sheet so far. So all it takes is one room to let a guy fall, one one player in one draft to push somebody up, and that number gets weird this early. But I think Maeda has the 30-plus percent K rate we're looking for, a sub-5% mm-hmm. walk rate. He's good at getting called strikes and whiffs, and he has command, right? I mean, it, it's, a, it's a good enough arsenal where everything he was doing seems sustainable to me. The only real question you have, you look at the innings total, it's a little bit lighter than the other workhorse-type aces. That's the thing that's missing from Maeda's profile. I'd say there's one more question. I mean, over the last two years, his BABIP has been around 240. And so if you look at his steamer projections, they, they project him into a 4-4 ERA because they basically take that home run rate and and embiggen it, and they give him you know sort of a 300 BABIP, and that gives you a 4-4 ERA. The only problem I have with that is that the the low BABIPs for Maeda coincide with a big change in pitch mix where he went from throwing the slider about a quarter of the time to almost 40% of the time. Um, and we know, I mean, it's just a fact that if you look at sort of BABIP by pitch type or even exit velocity by pitch type, that four seamers get hit the hardest and cutters and sliders um, have a lower BABIP and have a lower exit velocity. And he replaced a bunch of four seamers with cutters and sliders. So it's like, you know, I we have to do a little bit more research into how sustainable, like, you know, a BABIP, you know, a number like that can be if you given a certain uh, pitch mix. You know, I don't. I, I think that maybe some of what Alex Chamberlain is doing might get into that uh, with ex woba. Um, one problem with that is it doesn't express itself in in a way that um, fantasy owners can say, oh, his ex-BABIP or whatever, his ex-BABIP given his pitch mix is this, so then I can plug that into the steamer projection and get my own projection or whatever. I can kind of create my own projection with that. That's that's the only thing that's it's not super fantasy-friendly in that way. But um, I would say that uh, my own personal projection is for uh, kind of something close to his career numbers, so 375 ERA, 1-1 whip. Um, uh, 10 strikeouts per nine, a 270 BABIP. I think that builds in some BABIP regression, also gives him credit for the new pitch mix. Um, and it also means that I probably won't own him because a 375 ERA where he's going, which is um, looks like he's going basically around 14th or 15th pitcher. Yeah. I think people are, are hoping for better than the 375 ERA. Maybe, day. yeah. I, I think if you get a little little inflation on the ERA, but you get a better whip, that can also work out too. It is it should be it should be a good whip. I'm I'm really surprised by a projection of a one thirty whip when his career whip is one eleven and you his worst whip ever was one twenty six. It's like are you really pushing the aging curve that hard or what's going on there? That's got to be where that's coming from. It's got to be an aging related thing. And a thirty-two, I don't think. I don't think he's quite there. More mileage on his arm, though, because he pitched professionally in Japan for so long before he came to the states. So it's not. That's yeah. part of it. Maybe It'd we think nice he's a little younger than he really is, here. based on that. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, career workloads maybe will be added to the sheet. But the other guy that I think is is tough in the upper end of the rankings is Aaron Nola, and I think the reason I held back on Nola compared to where. Everybody seems to want to draft Nola. I got stuck on the 372 ERA and the 122 whip over the last two seasons combined. We've seen elite ratios from Aaron Nola before. This is not uncharted territory. And I see tons of green ink on the 2020 only. CSW, 32.9. Command plus 118. That's amazing. Like That's... That supports him going a lot earlier than where I have him. So I'm curious, though, where would you place Aaron Nola? How much confidence do you have in him when you look at how good the stuff and command appear to be at this point versus results that nearly include a a, 372 ERA now? That's a big whip to put with that ERA. One thing I like about him that's fairly rare, and I think you know, it's hard to kind of point to somebody else even in this top bit that that does it is to have like a great a plus breaking ball and a plus a plus um, changeup, and um, you know between um, him and Strasburg, Scherzer, 
DeGrom. <laughs> right? End list. Yeah. I mean, Castillo has the great changeup, but the, the breaking ball is not that great. Almost everybody else is uh, a bunch of a bunch of breaking balls. That's the that's the sort of um, modern starter. Um, kind of kind of Zach Gallon, my favorite Zach Gallon. Love 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 Zach Gallon. Uh, then Zach Renke, but you know you're you're pushing the age thing pretty hard there. Maybe Julio Urias. It's it, it's getting rarer. The other thing that bothers me um, is the pitch velocity. He kind of stepped off of the fastball this year. I mean, he did replace a lot of the forcing with sinkers, but um, I saw at least enough uh, erosion from when he was sitting closer to 94. Now he's sitting 93, along with the uh, change in going away from the fastball. I see. I've seen some people say that as a positive, and and just having said that, Kenta Maeda like did this whole thing with the sliders. I do see it as a positive, but it also is one of those like aging pitcher tricks. You know, where it's like, there's some point where you, like, Maeda might be close, actually. I mean, he's down to, like, 25% fastballs or whatever. There's some point at which you can't throw fewer fastballs. (laughs) If you look at the aging curve. You do have to throw some. Yeah, you have to throw some. I mean, that's the whole thing about pitching. You have to throw some fastballs. Uh, Even a guy like Tanaka throws some fastballs. And so... Um, you know, if you look at the aging curve for fastball percentage, yes, it goes down pretty quickly. Uh, but at some point, you know, you, then you've gone past the the point of no return, like Sergio Romo, like his career is going to be over pretty soon just because you can't throw 99% sliders. Like people will start sitting slider, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, I don't, I'm not sure we're there with Nola. I think I'm pretty much all systems go. It is, uh, interesting to me that you, that you point out that the, the ERA and whip over the two year, um, would be the worst ERA and whip in the sort of top 15. If you combine them, you know? Yeah. I mean the, the whip would be the worst in like the top 25, even if you stretch it down. I mean like a one, a one twenty five whip, his ratios are basically the same as Jose Barrios. We just haven't had the big Barrios season yet. Maybe we'll never get it. I keep waiting for that. Yeah. 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 No, it looks exactly like Barrios. If you, if you add in 2020, 2019, that's very interesting. Yeah. And, and Barrios, I mean, he's tracking the other way in terms of where people want to draft him. Yeah. I'll have shares of Barrios again. I will also try and kick that football and end up on my back again, if that's what it takes. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the nice thing about it is that now it will be like sort of SP3 type prices so or SP2. So, you know, at least it won't be the full whiff on the football. <laughs> I was in at SP2 prices and damn it, I'll be in at SP3 prices as well. Yeah. How could I not be? Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Who's a riser? Like I was just professing my love for Zach Gallon. Who's like a, a riser? And and my a little bit of my distrust of Kenta Maeda, even though you know I love him, but there's something about him at that price that makes me nervous. Um, who is a riser that you are like all in on? Is it? I mean, I pushed Woodruff some more. Yeah. Which I I think I started last winter, probably around this time. I'm like, hey, Brandon Woodruff's really good. It didn't take long for everybody else looking at the numbers to see the things I was looking at and to get on board. So he became a guy that more than I liked. That's not 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 my guy by any stretch of the imagination. But I mean, I've got him seventh. I've got him ahead of Giolito. I don't. You don't have to draft him there because Giolito is going to go at the one-two turn in some drafts. Woodruff's going to go probably round three. And if I go hitter hitter, Woodruff might be my ace, and I'm perfectly fine with that. I think. You know, Maeda's probably going to be a little higher on my list than on most. Uh, Gallon, everyone likes. So I don't think I'm 
higher on him than, than most people. I wonder if I'm, I'm going to end up higher on Chris Paddock than others. But we really did see his flaws in the shortened season. We saw the things that people were worried about. I had him overranked last year. He was a fringy top 10 starter for me. And I was wrong, clearly. Uh, I mean, a 502 FIP, home runs through the roof, has the problem of really needing a third pitch. It's a common refrain for some of the guys that we all like, but we look and say, yeah, this is the one flaw. I mean, ADP, if he's a top 100 guy, like a back of the top 100 guy, I'll have him quite a bit. If he's going earlier than that, okay, then other people will have him too. But I still believe there's a legitimately good pitcher underneath the struggles we saw in 2020. If I can wait on Plesak and Freed, who are at like 55 and 54, and take, you know, Paddock and Berrios at 96-106 at, at ADP currently, yeah, man, mm-hmm. sign me up. I'll do that. I probably can get some good hitters in between. Um, and I, I don't, you know, Zach Plesak doesn't wow me with any one of his pitches. He's kind of got like a bunch of okay pitches. Um, and, you know, and Freed had a .32 home run per nine. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> I'm not buying that <laughs> next year. Um, you know, that's just one of those things that just sticks out where you're like, that's that's not going to continue. So, um, yeah, no, I, I hear you on that. I wanted to just bring up Woodruff real quick because he, I think, exemplifies what I'm talking about when I'm talking about aging and the fastball. He still throws his fastball 60% of the time. He throws his fastball almost more than anybody. And that's, I think, a great sign. I mean, he's getting, he got 19% whiff rate and this swinging strike rate on his four seamers, even though he threw it so often. Right now, he's in his prime. He looks like this. I think later on, he'll be throwing these less and he'll still be good because I believe in the changeover in the slider. You know, I believe in their, uh, they've demonstrated above average results three years in a row for both pitches. Um, and I think that once he starts becoming a guy who kind of mixes it all up and throws those four pitches like 25, 25, 25 with the four seam sinker change in slider, I think he could be a whole nother kind of nasty. So, yep. you know, I'm a big I'm a big fan of Woodruff for that reason. I think he's probably uh, as high up as you have him. I think he might be even higher if you're talking about keeper leagues. I would definitely have him over. I mean, obviously, Scherzer is probably coming down in these ranks. Woodruff over, over Scherzer and Darvish, yeah. no no doubt, just based on mileage. And you know, Darvish, we've talked about him as an injury flag guy as well. He obviously has some concerns. Uh, so, yes, I would be. Very in on Woodruff, especially in keeper and dynasty leagues. If you're trying to trade for pitching, that can help you now, but also will help you for a few years into the future yet. I think he absolutely scratches that itch, and you're probably not paying nearly as much as it's going to take to get you know Shane Bieber in a trade right now. You're, you're paying absolute max price. You're, you're paying MSRP on Shane Bieber oh, right Lord. now, and you, you don't want to do that. And He's, he's tough, man, for... For all the the guys I've been really wrong about in the last few years, I just didn't see this ceiling at all. I'm not sure a lot of people saw this ceiling, but we're up to a 33% K rate over the last two seasons combined. Just has great command. I think the the hole in his approach might be something that the I think it was the Yankees showed us in the postseason. He gets hitters to chase out of the zone a lot. But what happens if when don't. guys don't chase those pitches anymore? <laughs> Can he beat hitters consistently in the strike zone? Yeah. And I think that's going to take another adjustment. That's why Woodruff is so sexy too, man. He's, <laughs> he can beat people in the zone. And I, I wonder, ah, you have Z contact in there. Um, and for Bieber, uh, it's not red, but am I imagining a little pink pink in there? It's 84.4 Z contact for Bieber. Um, and, 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 uh, Woodruff is 78 and something like DeGrom is 71.6. My God, he's the goat. 71.6. I, that is dark, dark green on the old shaded sheet. I, I love DeGrom. Like I, I'm actually just realizing now that I'm very happy for him with the Mets ownership change that they are no longer a laughing stock wasting his career. So, well, yeah, I think the Mets, I think the Mets have a real chance and I, I, I don't even know if they have to spend a ton. I just think, you know, just thinking like that and being aggressive and not always being like, we have, you know, 20 million to spend. Like, like we can't, we have to do these weird things like trade for, 
uh, Robinson Cano just because, you know, we have this money, we're capped out on money, like just to just to be able to be like, okay, we can acquire people that we want. And I think that the core of hitters on the Mets are great. So I think they actually need to get a catcher and they, they're rumored in on Ryamuto and then, you know, get some of those back end pitcher guys or throw Bauer next to DeGrom. Whoo. I do want to, uh, mm-hmm. this C contact thing is, is fascinating to me. And I do want to just um, highlight some lower picks that have good uh, Z contact rates. Yeah. Julio Urias. Um, that's not very low. Uh, Kyle Hendricks, 83.6. It's not amazing, though. Let's see if we can do better lower. Zach Wheeler. Wheeler had a weird season, by the way. Christian like Javier. Like a very weird season. Christian Javier's tough. He fits into the group of guys that don't have a pre-2020 track record that we can look at. Mm-hmm. You know, Rookies, guys that maybe came up late in 2019. There's not a lot of history to look at. And I know when Javier came up, you were comparing his pitches. Uh, I'm trying to remember the comps. It was Verlander and a Kluber, elite Kluber level. Oh, it offering. was because he has a super sweepy uh, uh, breaking ball. Yes, that's what it was. And uh, it was like Verlander's changeup, but Verlander doesn't throw a ton of changeups, but it's it's a good pitch. Yeah, uh, yeah, kind of like a Verlander change. Uh, yeah, there's something there's something Kluber-esque about that slider. I mean, a seven seven inches horizontally uh, and a zero. Yeah, yeah. He's get basically got like a flat curve slider, um, and then a pretty decent power change. Uh, the big difference, I think, with Javier, um, the the only thing that sort of holds him back, I think, is I want to see what his command score is on here. Eighty nine command score mm-hmm. um and got, got the red the sub 90 always makes me super nervous i mean josh james was like 84 so it's a little bit better than josh james but i remember watching josh james and being like this is ridiculous stuff this is like some bugs bunny stuff here and then it just turned out he he couldn't do anything with it so um here's a weird grouping though uh mike minor <laughs> Mike Miner and Caleb Smith. Yep. Whew. Yeah, there's some, there's some green sprinkled in there yeah. where those guys are. And it's crazy because they have similar underlying numbers in a few areas, and there's a three-run difference in their ERAs yeah. from 2020. Well, I mean, Smith, Smith doesn't really have, yeah, he didn't have that. He didn't have that. Um, but, you know, the Z-contact thing actually holds steady for Miner and Smith over the two-year yep. grouping. And they both have decent strikeout rates. Minor dropped off in velocity, but you know, especially if there's no DH in the NL and he ends up in the NL, now I could see I could see having some shares of Mike Minor actually. Yeah, the velo dropped though, right? That's the that's the scary thing. I think you got to put a, a a velo thing on here. I think that's going to be necessary and enlightening once uh, I add that to the equation. The other guy that really surprised me, and I think I do have him higher than the field so far, is Kevin Gossman. Mm-hmm. Like, look at the command plus. Look at the CSW thirty-one for the CSW. Like that's outstanding. Thirty-two point two percent K rate. This looks real to me. And of course, when you mush his twenty nineteen into his twenty twenty, he's gonna be one of the guys that has some of the ugliest ratios around. But the thing that caught my eye when I did that a three sixty-five FIP. And I know FIP's not mm-hmm. the be all end all, right? But it just gives you. That extra little nudge to say, yeah, okay, these ratios shouldn't have been this bad. The home rate's not even that bad. You know, one two eight is is doable. That's that's the that's the big weakness on him because he never really developed a great backing ball, and he's kind of like a weird two change up fastball guy. But the fastball velo is up. He's back in San Francisco for a year. I like Kevin Gossman. I'm keeping him in Auto New for like eight bucks. Like I, I you know, I'm 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 with him, man. Yeah. So he ended up. At least at the time of this recording, he's 34th among starting pitchers in my rankings, which I mean, it puts him ahead of Lance McCullers, mostly for health reasons. Uh, Frankie Montes, who just had a whew, just a miserable, miserable year, but oh, man, called strikes and whiffs. That's that's pulled me right back in. We know the splitter is a pitch that comes and goes for a lot of guys. That could be a big problem for Montas. I can't give up on him. The Velo is still great. The command is not that bad. 97. He's basically league average command. 
I think you might need a, a little bit of a, a, a longer deep dive because there was a um, an injury. I think there was a back injury, and mm-hmm. kind of in the middle of the season, if I remember right. I I wonder if there's some command plus splits that are interesting, but also you can just see the the velo at the end of the season was 97. Um, that was his best velo of the uh, you know his velo in the last month was 97. That was the best velo of the year. So there was definitely, you know, some uh, some up and down nature to his season, and I think that would, uh, I think that you know, like basically, I think the one thing was this is the thing: the slider comes and goes, right? But he's always been a fastball slider guy. I mean, the, the splitter comes and goes, but he's always been a fastball slider guy. And the slider whiff rate last season three percent in uh, August. In July, that's when he got hurt, though, right? Yeah, and then eight percent in August, also bad. The average is around fourteen percent. Fourteen percent in September, okay. Nineteen percent in October. That's not a lot of starts, but it's like okay, I like the way that's going. If he can be an elite fastball slider guy, where the split isn't something he has to depend on, right? And the split is a little bit more something he uses against lefties. Then he'll walk some lefties, but he won't necessarily give up a potential homers to lefties, and he should get out all the righties. So it's a kind of um, it's kind of almost like a Charlie Morton thing where you just like you do just just good enough against lefties and dominate the righties and that's that's your deal. Um, so I'm going to be back on the Frankie Montas train. I don't know. I'm, I'm with you, man. I think I'm not sure exactly where you've got him. You've got him, but you've got him in an interesting spot next to McCullers and Mike Soroka and Charlie Morton, where there's a lot of guys who you know, have some skills that stand out and some things you like, but also the beginning of the question marks, you know? Mm -hmm. I think when you're talking about the top 30, you have fewer question marks. I mean, the the top 30s ends with, like, you know, Urias, Lozardo, Burns, Berrios, you know, Paddock. Yes, there are already some question marks there. So, sorry, the top 25 is where the no question marks are. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Has pitching always been like this? It just seems like the the no question marks guys just get shorter and shorter every year. Well, you know what that is, though? I think that's just learning more and more about the craft and and finding different flaws that we didn't previously look at. When I made these leaderboards to make these rankings in the past – I didn't have command plus there on the elite pitchers as you know a nice red dot for guys like Bueller and Darvish and Giolito and Bauer and obviously those guys are great pitchers but you when you see even one red flag it does something to you so part of that is just I think I need to train my brain to not panic at the sight of one thing that's a you know it's a slight flaw having below average command but it's not poor command either you know, it's acceptable. There's there's like an acceptable range of below average command. And I think that's sort of where Giolito and Bueller and Darvish pretty clearly live given their success. And Bauer's obviously part of that group too. Yeah, and those are and those are guys, I mean, if you want to know what what it is in command plus, that's sort of ninety five. And I think that's that's okay because um, you know, command plus uh like a standard deviation, you know, is I think like ninety is a standard deviation. So like some people would say that that's basically league average. But I think once you get a standard deviation beyond, so you're now you're talking about sub ninety, now you're talking about Glasnow, Lamette, Corbin Burns, um, and and that's risky in its own way. Um, and then, you know, I think once you get into the low eighties, um, like just as a exercise. I'll tell you the on your rankings the first low 80s guy Shohei Otani at 74. Yeah. I'm going to put a shrug emoji next to his name when I publish because you have a notes a notes section says oh my. It's all red. <laughs> it's all red. It's all red. It's one and two thirds innings, right? I mean, he had one start I think where he didn't get an out and he had one where he cruised for an inning and then fell apart. It was hard to watch and He's coming off Tommy Johnson. But the upside and- you know, gets us there. So uh, just to continue the thought, Nate Pearson at 113 for you has an 81 command plus. Maybe you can say uh, only 18 innings. It's a little bit fair. They said two to three starts, you know, command plus starts to really, um, you know, stabilize. But, you know, it's his first try at the league. That's why he's in there. But now, we had two guys in the top 113, right? The, and, you know, Dylan Cease at 85. That's where I get to worry. So, um, you know, if you're if you want to draft those guys, you just have to know, like, think about the fact that there's almost nobody else. It goes down to 
you say Kikuchi at 151 before you get another one. And that's it. That's it. Those are the only starters. Those are the, yeah. Those are the only starters <laughs> with low 80s command plus. And I'm still in the 160s. I'm still scrolling down. I haven't found another one. Zach Godley had an 86. That tells you something. You don't want to have an 86. Uh, Josh James had an 86. I think 86 minus, I think, uh, and that and that is where Denilson Lamette is. I get... I get a little nervous. So I don't know how many shares of Lamette and Glass now I'll have next year. But basically both two pitch pitchers with terrible command. Right. Now, so there's a if kind of a philosophical question about arsenals and command that I want to throw at you. So consider this a, a Sammy kind of question that size in terms of food for thought. But <laughs> when are you comfortable with a two pitch pitcher? Like what do you need to see command wise? We were just talking about Montas, right? If he loses the splitter and is down to fastball slider. Like, what do you have to fall back on command-wise to have a profile that you're comfortable relying on from a starting pitcher? There has to be some point where those lines intersect. Like, oh, the command's actually good enough. Two pitches will be okay here. No, the command's not good enough. This guy needs that third pitch because otherwise he's screwed. I mean, the, the what worries me is the added command plus problem, right? Because Patrick Corbin was a two-pitch pitcher and... You know, people smarter than I thought he would never make it. I mean, do you remember that when he was first coming mm-hmm. on? Like, people were like, "Nope, he's not going to be a starting pitcher," and he made it. Yeah, they, they thought he was a, a five, like initially, like a number five starter for the D-backs, because he if that, just yeah. didn't have that third pitch. And so, I tried to look into his slider, what made it so good, because it didn't look that great by stuff metrics and so on and so forth. And it was kind of it was command. So I think if you're going to have two pitches, and I think if you look at, I remember Justin Masterson was like a, a famous uh, two-pitch guy that was okay uh, some years. And I think the years where he was okay, he had the good command. And he could back foot mm-hmm. that breaking ball to lefties, and he could survive, you know? But if that command sloughs off because something's hurting or something's not right or whatever, or you just don't have great command, then all of a sudden that back foot slider becomes a sort of middle-middle slider. And that's when you get to toast. So... You know, I, I, I think um, I'm not going to put an X on either of those guys, but they're being picked in the in the top 60. And, you know, there's guys around them um, that even even a guy like Sonny Gray, you know, it's kind of a two pitch thing, but he's kind of found a way to make it, you know, morph into four. You know, he kind of has two fastballs, mm-hmm. kind of has two breaking balls and, you know, he, he makes it play up. Um, but like a Hunjin Ryu has like eight pitches, it feels like, and, uh, Julio Rios, like definitely more pitches. So there's some alternate choices there. And probably I just go batter, uh, in that spot, in that spot. But if I do want to take a two pitch pitcher, um, then I want to have the, I want them to have great command. Um, I'm trying to find a person like that. Lance Lynn. Yeah, Lance Lynn would be in, in, in the acceptable range. It's not you know above average, but it's it's in the acceptable command plus range. Yeah. Um, hmm, who else? Who else reminds me of that? Aaron Savali is yeah secretly kind yeah. of sinker slider, and he has great command. Michael Pineda has a great command plus, and he's been way better than you'd think given his fastball velocity and his two pitch mix. Yeah, Pineda is pretty interesting. It was only five starts, but. I mean, it's 11.4% changeup usage. So just just enough of a third, like yeah. two and a half, two yeah, and a quarter right. pitches. Yeah. Like it, that worked. That worked because the command was, I think that's the highest command score of anybody, if I'm not mistaken. One, 121. Pretty sure nobody topped that. Gallon was 119. Nola, 118. You know, you have to say, you have to say the word velocity. It matters. Right, because Matthew Boyd is a two-pitch pitcher with a 102 command plus, and you could be like, you know, he did a little bit better when he started throwing that changeup, but he throws 91. <laughs> so mm-hmm. the reason that Glass and Lumet might be okay bets anyway is because they throw so hard. So, well, here's the other cl- command cluster: Zach Davies, a 123, so he has a higher command plus than than Pineda. But he's I have him with Marco Gonzalez and Dallas Keuchel, and Dallas Keuchel's better than I've been giving him credit for. One of those things you notice when you when you do the mash the numbers together trick, you know you see better ratios, good number of innings, not elite, only one seventy six, but also you know, still weird fact. 
leads the league in decisions uh, over the last two years. That, that is a very weird fact, but it's meaningful, right? I mean, we're playing fantasy baseball. You know, I don't, I don't know what mm-hmm. it is that I guess he's kind of workhorsey, or maybe the command is so good, or maybe the team just doesn't care and they're okay with him winning or losing. They just want to. I mean, the Mariners <laughs> bullpen has been maybe the worst in baseball the last two years, so like that's part of it too. But Marco Gonzalez, you know, if you need some W's on your on your roster, you know, he might get them, might get you some just by virtue of them leaving him out there. They could actually be a pretty fun, much improved team when you start thinking about the next wave of young talent with Kelnick and Rodriguez coming up. You know, they had a couple other young pitchers in the fray. Gonzalez, to me, just looks like one of those pretty stable strike thrower types that is temporarily an ace and then becomes a three or a four when the team gets a lot better. Which you know, that's great if you can if you can be that guy. That's it's good. You got a contract extension, but uh, I think those guys always get underpriced in fantasy drafts because they don't bring the massive strikeout totals. The surprising thing to me though, is when I see the difference in how the market treats Gonzalez compared to how it treats Davies and Keuchel. That's how I expect Davies and Keuchel to be drafted around pick 200, right? Kind of buried outside that range. Just, they're just guys that are fillers. I wonder like with, with Davies, especially he's probably a little underrated, just in the broader community, even when he was traded to the Padres, I don't think anybody said great get by the Padres. They really, I said he really filled the need in that rotation. Eric Lauer, which is okay. Not quite saying he's great. (laughs) That's, that's a compliment. It is a compliment by definition. (laughs) Maybe back, but he's at a three thirty ERA the last two years, one twenty two whip. I mean, look at that. Good pitcher. ADP for Gonzalez. You're right. One Oh nine. Yeah. There's more, more faith in him for some reason. I, I don't know. I mean, the ratios from the shortened season aren't way better than Davies and Keuchel. The whip's lower, but the ERA is higher than both of those guys. I can't quite figure it out. And then when you when you break it out into the two, the one and a half seasons, they're almost identical. Yeah, I mean, they're they're both good pitchers. I just I can't unless I find something else in a deep dive. I can't possibly justify. Marco Gonzalez, if he's going to be around the pick 100 and It's not range. like Marco doesn't do have any red on him. I mean, an 88 Z contact means he's he's beatable. And a 18.5% yeah. strikeout rate over the last two years combined is also not very good. It is interesting. Both Davies and Gonzalez had pretty big K percentage jumps compared to their 19 and 20 combined just in the shortened season. I don't think I trust either one of them yeah. to stay above 20% over a full season. No, I don't think I do either. But they're they're glue guys in a rotation. You get a little further down. You know, John Means, you weren't wrong to be on John Means, especially in deeper leagues. I didn't push back a lot when you brought him up. I just kind of said, yeah, just not one of my guys. Not a big deal, but he's just solid. Just does a lot of things really well. The home run per nine thing is red. Um, and that's going to affect his FIP and, um, you know, make you worried about him. But you know, 2.47 in the short season, 1.459 if you include 2019. I think that could even drop a, a little bit because he still has a 106 command plus. The velocity was up last year. He started to show what he can do if he can get the slider and the changeup going at the same time. There were some really good starts in there. I, th- I think you got him right. I mean, at 88 uh, around Jordan Montgomery, I, I-, I might move. Uh, the the two of those ahead of guys like I don't believe in Elysier Hernandez. Um, I don't know that I believe in Brady Singer. Uh, I don't love Zach Eflin. Uh, but if you move Jordan Montgomery and John Means up to like eighty two, eighty three, where you have Dane Dunning and Tyler Molly, whoo, that's where <laughs> I got a little hot on the collar and get super excited. That 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 quartet. I uh, love that group. Love it. And, it, you know, there's really, they're not the same. You know, there's not something where you can be like, oh, they all have great slider command. No, there's not, not the same. Tyler Molly's a little bit more command forward, but he found a good slider. Dane Dunning has a really good slider, I guess. Um, Montgomery has a good slider. Means it's, it's a straight change. But th- that quartet, there's something I like about all four of them. And I love the price. You're talking about, you know, 200 to 300 in terms of ADP. Um, you know, mostly back end of the three of the two hundreds. I like it. I'm I'm all over that four. If you want some early, you know, quote unquote sleepers, that's that's a quartet that I believe in. 
Yeah, that's a fun range as you're kind of rounding out the rotation, looking for guys that could bring a little more to the table in 2021 than what we've seen so far, or even build off of what they did in the shortened season. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash. Or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant. Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. We had a question come in from Cam about a pitcher we kind of kind of jumped over this portion of the rankings, but he's definitely worth talking about. Uh, it's Ian Anderson. He writes, Hey guys, on the show, there's been discussion about what makes a good changeup. Power changeups with great movement and straight changeups with large velocity gaps. Where does Ian Anderson fall? On Savant, his movement numbers are very blue, so that disqualifies him from the great movement one, but there isn't a large velocity gap from his fastball either. What makes his changeup so dominant? You know, Ian Anderson's changeup does defy definition, I think, because when I watch it, I think of it as a straight change, you know? It does not have much difference from the fastball. I think of it as a straight change. But straight changes usually have 10 to 12 mile an hour differences. So if there is risk with Ian Anderson, I think it has to do with that changeup. Because the the fastball at 95 with some ride, that's pretty good. I would call that an above average fastball. I would say the curve is a low spin curve that got low uh, a low whiff rate um, and doesn't really have great drop for one the the velocity or anything. And so, if the changeup is not plus like it was, I don't know. Yeah, I, I keep looking at Anderson and I I get stuck on the command overall being not great. Some of the conversations we had about him. I think it was prospect of the week a while back that he came up on that raised some questions for me. And he was so good both in the shortened part of the regular season and in the postseason. it was just kind of a, Hey, you're wrong. Sort of a <laughs> series of starts. <laughs> looked like you got that him. one but, wrong, but, but now the price is going pretty high, right? What do you have? on the Yeah. See, so where, like compared to where I have him ranked, he's, he's not, I'm not going to have him at all. the, the draft that's pulling in for the ADP was 73rd overall in that draft. I, I don't like how much safer, how much better is Ian Anderson than Christian Javier? How much better is Ian Anderson even than, than Tristan McKenzie? I, I don't see it. I don't see it like that really at all. I mean, he's going ahead of Framber Valdez. He's going ahead of Sandy Alcantara. He's going ahead of Jose Urquidy. I think I like all of those guys better. I, I Aaron Savali, is going a what a hundred picks later than Anderson in that draft. I like Savali better than Ian Anderson for twenty twenty one only. I, I'm not I'm not saying Ian Anderson's going to be bad forever, but a ten point one percent walk rate. Like I I'm looking at the guys ranked ahead of him that have walk rates like that. I mean Montas. Okay, we've seen more of him. We kind of have a better feel for what he is. Soroka was hurt last year, not a full sample. Corbin Burns. Okay, so. He doesn't strike as many guys out as Burns. I don't think the stuff's going to get him to that level. Sunny, Sunny Gray, but Sunny Gray has a 31% strikeout rate, so you 
kind of have you're kind of asking Ian Anderson to keep a real high strikeout rate going. Yeah, he's, he's a nice pitcher, but he's not an SP two for me right now. And that's how he's going to be treated. Yeah, I can't do it. Let me see what the uh, straight up projections say. Yeah, that's really interesting. Steamer has a four three one one four zero whip with the home run great coming up, and and you saw that Ian Anderson had gave up homers in Triple A. Uh, and started to give up homers in double A even before he got to that juice ball. So, you know, there's a, a bit of a homer rate uh, situation there too where he didn't he gave up didn't give up a home run in the postseason and gave up one home run all last year. This it's just way too much to ask of a guy, you know? It's like I don't know. I think I think you've got him in a good place. Uh he's among interesting young pitchers javier mckenzie or kitty alcantara that's where he should be if you take him at his adp at least in this on this one you're choosing between lance lynn carlos carrasco and him yeah those are the pitchers that went closest to him i mean even if i don't love lance lynn and carlos carrasco the, uh, there's another choice which is batter yeah you could go batter in that spot uh, i mean would you really choose ian anderson over zach grinky for 2021 Kyle Hendricks goes lower. I mean, yeah, Lizardo, Pat. I mean, there's so many options. I, I think I would just sort of, yeah, he's, I'm not going to end up with shares. Um, if I had like more confidence in the curveball, but that was a question we had going in. And then good question on, on the changeup, I think, because I can't, I can't point to something and be like, well, actually it's, no, I don't know what it is. It's a three-inch drop uh, compared to his four seam is not that good. A three-inch uh, horizontal movement is not that good, and a seven-mile-an-hour gap is not that good. So, I guess my hypothesis slash follow-up question would be, is it something in the delivery? Is it something that it just looks exactly like the fastball coming out of his hand, right? Is it just something in the mechanics that is really good? And that might be why I called it a straight change, right? Like It, it just it looks like it's fastball. I mean, he had great strikeout rates in the minor leagues, and we've we've been sort of flummoxed by him all along. But just because he was great in the um, uh, just because he was great in the postseason doesn't mean we got to love him. No, we we certainly do not. Um, I think the other tough rank, and we'll talk more about some of these guys in, in details, is figuring out what to do with guys you think are going to debut in 2021, and then also ranking guys who are coming back from sitting out the season or guys that rehabbed in 2020 didn't pitch at all because of Tommy John surgery. So uh, an example of a prospect, Edward Cabrera for the Marlins. Developmentally speaking, how much time did he really lose in 2020? He, I thought he was going to get called up in a full 2020 season. They brought him up. I'm annoyed about it because I'm in a league where if they bring him up and he pitches one inning, then I can, I can keep him as a prospect. But they brought him up and he never pitched an inning. Why didn't they use him? Yeah, that's really weird. They didn't give him any innings. Taxi squad guy for road trips to Atlanta and New York late in the season, according to Craig Mish. That's very odd. That yeah. you bring him into that situation, but not actually use him. And he also he also strikes me as being a guy that might be uh, that's kind of like Ian Anderson esque, where you're like people are putting fifty future values on him and putting him on the back end of the top one hundred, and uh, he's like. You know, putting up two ERAs with like great sparkling strikeout rates, and you're you're just like, you know, what's going on? <laughs> Forty mm-hmm. forty five command. Hmm. Maybe there's maybe there's something there that big leaguers will expose a little bit. Could be, definitely could be. But I, I just think figuring out the timing of those call ups, especially, is going to be tough. It applies to Matt Manning, who dealt with an injury in 2020. It applies to Mackenzie Gore, who we probably asked for a call up of on seven to eight occasions during the 2020 season. Like you just don't know what the development arc looks like. If it's, Maybe it's the same as it would be in a typical year. Maybe it's, well, they had him do a bunch of things at the alternate site and face hitters and they feel like he's ready to go after a couple of weeks. And that would have been the case even if 2020 had been a complete minor league season. We don't know. I just find those guys to be like throwing darts right now and trying to pick out like which ones I actually want. You could play some mind games, though. You can be like, well, you know, how good are their hitting prospects that they're facing, right? Because like <laughs> Shane McClanahan or whatever his name is, um, the guy who came up and threw 100 left-handed out of the uh, bullpen for the Rays, 
when we asked him about the alternate site, he was like, those guys are all going to be big leaguers soon and they're good. And uh, to some part, he's right. I mean, Wander Franco's over there and Vidal Brujan's over there. And like uh, you ask, you, you ask the same question of the Marlins and you're like, he's facing Monty Harrison. Maybe that's why his strikeout rate was look good in 2020. <laughs> if he did, you, know? Um, you know, Monty Harrison's not going to uh, test his command that much, maybe. So um yeah I, I there's a big black box there and i love dynasty leagues and i love keeper leagues and just figuring out how to value prospects is just real tough right now i mean it, maybe it maybe it plays to my strengths because i'm like usually a fade prospects guy <laughs> maybe that's the, that's the way to to play it and it would be interesting for nsbc and stuff like that too where everyone usually brings like the consensus the consensus top five batting prospects are usually drafted you know because yeah. everybody wants that that sort of upside on their roster to to kind of be the last piece to to put them over the top, but, um, you know, who's that going to be? Right. I I think Wander is going to play a lot for the Rays in 2021, and I'm willing to be pretty aggressive with him because he just stands out. Like the the numbers are off the charts, amazing. Yet you start getting past the elite of the elite. And it is a wide open question right now. A lot of it's going to be shaped probably by what happens with some of the the second and third and fourth tier free agents that we've been talking about too. If those guys are just not on teams, well, someone's got to play in their place. It's going to be the prospects in those cases. If those guys get to a point where they're so cheap that teams are signing them for half of what they ordinarily would make on a one-year deal, prospects are going to have to wait a little longer to see if those guys you know, play at their typical level or if they flop and get DFA. And you're just working with such incomplete information. Like you're working on like almost rumor level stuff. Like Mackenzie Gore, like I heard his velocity dropped. Did you hear that? His velocity dropped. <laughs> and then you, somebody else is like, well, I heard it came back. Oh, it came back. And then somebody's like, well, he was rooming with Paddock and Paddock brought, screwed him up. What? <laughs> this is where we're at. This is this is the best we can do for valuing. Maybe this, the, the best pitching prospect in baseball. Like maybe he's not anymore, but, who knows? You know, Julio yeah. Rodriguez was hurt. How did he come back from it strong? Like what? What's he doing? Yeah, exactly. Is he, <laughs> is he mashing in complex off-season ball? Like you, like Mariners PR is one of the better PR Twitter accounts right their now because they're putting kind of out fun, yeah. their box scores with max exit velocity yeah. in there and for pitching, pitching. I think it's velo velo yeah. ranges. Yeah, I wish everyone did those. It at least give us something yeah. to dig through, something to think about, something to chew on. I don't recall the highs that I've seen, but I've seen from the Mariners prospects, the elite hitting prospects, we've seen some pretty good numbers sprinkled in. I wish I had them to reference right now, but I've liked seeing those updates because it's just given me a reason for some hope with these players that basically had a lost season. And then you take a guy like Forrest Whitley, Good luck. I mean, he was going to be tough to figure out, even if he was pitching in 2020. Complete mystery box. Like, <laughs> if you're in a 50-round draft and hold, this will be the last question of the show. Let's say you're playing in a 50-round draft and hold. You start drafting tomorrow, sometime soon. Do you draft Forrest Whitley as a lottery ticket somewhere in that, I don't know, round 40 to 50 range? It's probably all it's going to take to get him. I don't think you have to draft him much earlier than that. I'm like trying to think of who, like maybe put him up against like Spencer Howard who we have some information on, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Even if it's okay, round 30 might even be more reasonable because he's, he's a big name. Logan Gilbert, who we don't have information on, who's ranked somewhat similarly. I'm just looking at fan graphs. They, they still have Forrest Whitley in the top 25, but other pitching prospects around them would be Howard. Uh, and this might not have been updated yet, but you know Logan Gilbert, who I like a lot. I think I would probably just take Logan Gilbert because I've heard some good things about his velocity and he has better command and he doesn't have all that negativity around him. So I think I'd probably find a reason to talk myself into someone else, you know? Okay. There's no clear, oh yeah, Forrest Whitley figured it out and you definitely have to draft him. But just thinking about how much I liked him and how much a lot of people liked him just over a year ago, is uh, it's amazing, yeah. and to see that he's basically free. So many question marks at this point. for us going into this year. It's going to be so weird. Absolutely, we'll start tackling more of those on our next episode on Friday. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. Thanks for listening.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.